We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. I'm Richard Wells. And I'm Pat McGrath. And today marks the 40th anniversary. Wait, are of the we not even of- going to acknowledge the fact that there is another Patrick in this room? Patrick McGrath is here. Hello, everybody. Hi, Welcome. Pat. Welcome. Hello, all of you in podcast land. Patrick has his own podcast that he works on. Yeah, be sure to listen to our old episodes of Watch Movie Do Podcast, and also the sketch comedy podcast known as Free Candy Van. That's a great one. Today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Those Lips, Those Eyes on August 15th, 1980. It was written by David Shaber, directed by Michael Pressman, and released by United Artists. Screenwriter David Shaber studied medicine at Case Western Reserve University, but spent two summers as a prop man at Kane Park Theater in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. The experience inspired him to change his major to study at Yale Drama School, and after writing a full 18 screenplays, he finally sold a pair, 1979's The Warriors and Last Embrace. He had a harder time selling those lips, those eyes, because the consensus was that audiences would not be interested in a backstage story. I feel like this is totally relatable. I think that anybody who is a theater person understands this movie and, and probably understands this guy's choice to be like, oh my God, I need to do this now. This is my thing. Yeah. yeah. And you're talking about uh, Walter Hill's The Warriors? He wrote that yes. one? Wow, yeah. incredible. The success of his other scripts helped nudge this one over the line. And when the time came to secure locations, they actually ended up shooting at the actual Kane Park Theater in Cleveland Heights, where the story took place. We start the film with uh, the chorus of the lyrics to a French military marching song from the musical The Desert Song. Five, six, seven, eight. Harry is getting a half hour notice as he's applying makeup in front of a mirror. He notices that he's out of Trojans before lighting a cigarette backstage. At the 15 minute mark, he's still applying makeup. And at five minutes, he's waiting in the wings where he pulls a folded love note from the brim of a costume hat. He takes the stage and sings the lead of In Old New York from The Red Mill. In old New York, in old New York, the peach crops always fine. Based on my cursory research, these two songs are actually from two different musicals. They absolutely are. So I don't know if it's uh, like just a rehearsal or if this is an actual performance and they're doing multiple songs from different musicals this night. Uh, I believe that's the actual performance of the Red Mill. Okay. Yeah. Just off stage, Harry kisses the dancer who left the note and Artie watches from the wings completely fascinated. He's here applying for a job in the props department, and it sounds like he's already been offered the position. They're just waiting on an answer. A banner outside reads, Kempton Hills Park Theater. It lists a July 10th show of The Red Mill, a July 12th show of The Desert Song, implying that the two songs we heard were played on separate nights. So maybe it was supposed to be like a montage of just him backstage. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on in this movie, too. Yeah. There's more of that. Artie Shoemaker climbs into a car with Shoemaker Auto Parts painted on the driver's side door. And as Harry leaves the theater, he's complaining out loud, we are doing 10 weeks in a graveyard, because he's not a fan of this town. At home, Artie's little brother, who seems to share a room with him, 
tells him that he's going to be in deep shit if he accepts this job. If he fails his anatomy class again, he's going to be sent to the Korean War instead of finishing medical school. <laughs> but he is in college, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. He's in, like, makeup college. Like, he's summer school or yeah. some kind of... Yeah. He's getting, like, last-minute Ancillary credits. class. Okay. Because he failed the class once, and he's retaking it. Yeah. Got it. It's just a little confusing that he's in college, still living at home, still sharing a room with his brother. It just seems like he should be past this point yeah that makes perfect sense uh it, 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 especially because of what, what we hear from, from his father later on that he wants him to be, to be able to focus on his studies so n- they're not pushing him out to go live on his own they're just they want him to stay home and 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 be stable as a student yeah his brother is poking fun at the at his focus at this theater and he says Artie, who are you kidding you can't build shit you don't know how to hold a hammer you don't even know what's into the nail gets in got a 50-50 chance. In Artie's anatomy class the next day, each student is handed a dead or at least seriously wounded dogfish. After class, Artie heads back to the theater venue and is captivated by the illustrated sets and props on stage. He is given a very rapid-fire tour of the prop house, and he insists to his supervisor that he's got it and that there's no problem. Uh, That afternoon, Artie's father, played by Jerry Stiller, pulls up to the house. This is our memorial Jerry Stiller record we haven't had any jerry stiller movies yet this year so yeah um and we just lost him a couple weeks ago or maybe last week he was a great performer great guy Artie's parents talk in the kitchen about the job he has apparently accepted his dad seems surprised that they will pay him to work backstage as a stagehand and his mom is clearly more upset about it than the dad is the dad says he's always gotten fired maybe he'll get fired weirdly this comment comes across as supportive <laughs> Like he's saying this to get her off of Artie's back. <laughs> Don't worry. He's going to do a terrible job. Yeah. He'll be fired and he'll be back to becoming a doctor. It's, yeah. just a fa- it's just a flash in the pan. Yeah. Because that's who we want as a doctor is someone who repeatedly fails. Yeah. Artie's boss finds him nailing a crooked wooden frame together. I'm not even sure what he's trying to build here. I have no idea. But uh, he tells him to grab a handful of props to take to rehearsal. And uh, when Artie says, no problem. He already knows to say, stop saying no problem. (laughs) You don't know what you're doing. Artie throws together a pile of props very haphazardly, and he's repeatedly reciting to himself, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to panic. Not going to panic. Not going to panic. As he brings them to the rehearsal. These guys must have been pretty desperate to hire this guy. I don't know why you hire a guy who literally has zero experience. It's a small town theater group. I feel I like. you don't have a lot of options. Yeah. I feel like he was. I, they hire that other guy later. That He just kind of like. was like, hey, can I work here? And they were like, sure. You're security now. Well, <laughs> well he, had a, he, he, he had a passion for it. Uh, no, I think the the, uh, the props assistant is a not glamorous position. And maybe no one was clamoring to, to take up the assistant part. Yeah, that's possible. I don't know that there was a prop master there either. It didn't seem like anyone was showing him the ropes. Yeah. I, I think that older guy was supposed to play that part, but he wasn't really doing it that well. Oh, he seemed like the theater director. But he was he knew where everything was kept on each floor of the prop I house. Yes, maybe he was the prop master. Uh, back at the stage, Artie clumsily drops an armload of props on a table. In the middle of rehearsal, the director turns in his chair to chastise Artie for interrupting. They resume rehearsals, and Artie joins other stagehands on the sidelines. They talk about which of the dancers is hotter, which ones they've had sex with, and they ask Artie which one he likes, and he's so distracted by a girl named Ramona that he misses his cue in the rehearsal. The director is furious with Artie for delivering a pencil-sized pencil and an Italian jug of wine for a play that takes place in the Moroccan desert. (laughs) So 
as if the audience would be able to read the label on the wine, but he definitely wants them to be able to see a pencil. Yeah. Well, it's the style of the bottle, too. Yeah. Harry tries to intervene on Artie's behalf, and the director follows Artie back to the prop house to complain about all the other props that he collected. <laughs> He's like, look at this sword. This sword is stupid. And then to prove a point, Harry picks up the sword and starts intimidating the director with it to show that it's actually could be a scary sword, depending on how you use it. And then he, Harry, after, after the director leaves, Harry basically tells Artie, pencil means a huge pencil. So like a baseball bat painted like a pencil. It needs to read from the stage. And also remember that all food is made from bananas. So if they want steak, you take bananas and you paint them brown or they turn brown on their own. <laughs> this Every, was one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. When he's like talking him through it all? Yeah, just breaking down the, the secrets of theater itself. It, it, especially because um, the, the audience can't tell, of course. Right. Uh, but it's beautiful how uh, he, he goes on to, to say that, that uh, I, iced tea always stands in for scotch. Yeah and uh, uh the ice is glass and ice is glass and water stands in for gin and if you want champagne it's just ginger ale right it's beautiful yeah but i like that he pays close enough attention to everything that he's able to like basically fill him in on this job that he's never done here that he's just been acting the whole he's time. seen so much of it he knows yeah. at home Artie is being lectured over dinner about his new life goals dr faldauer is leaving the house after a tutoring session with Artie's brother and his dad makes a joke about how Artie's wasting his time at some theater and the doctor just hears the word theater and like goes into a trance because he <laughs> he misses theaters from his childhood and he's just like oh the theater uh, on the way to tonight's show Artie is asked to drop the doctor off and the doctor tells him that he's lucky for having the theater in his life just as a prop table is being rolled on the stage during that night's show Artie realizes that another pair of stagehands have glued the bottle of wine and the glass to the table with the intention of embarrassing harry on stage but he seems experienced in their in their pranks so when he goes to pick up the bottle he realizes quickly that it's glued to the table and just yanks it off anyway and he takes a big chunk of the table with it and then he has to break the glass to get it off of the table he breaks the glass off the table takes a sip out of it and then he chucks it into the fireplace mm -hmm. on, yeah. on set and i was wondering if That's that was actually part of the scene or part yes. of the play yeah because i thought it'd be funny if he was just mad and he just improvised because he's like <laughs> I, I can't i can't obviously set this glass down again because it has yeah. no bottom on it so yeah. i'm just gonna <laughs> chuck it <laughs> you would have to wonder because the glass the glass completely shatters but yeah the top of it breaks apart too yeah yeah when he throws it in the fireplace but the fire in the fireplace swivels down as if it's meant to so it, yeah, like it, like it's been extinguished by the liquor. It, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, it, it felt it was like a very Mister Toad's Wild Ride kind of thing. Absolutely, <laughs> like Absolutely. It just folds down so it's <laughs> not visible anymore. Old old dark ride theatrics. <laughs> but I'm wondering, were they willing to sacrifice a glass every t single time that they performed, or maybe he wasn't supposed to throw it as hard? Maybe. Well, it was already broken anyway. Exactly, yes, yeah. it's useless now. Uh, after the show, Artie moves to apologize to Harry, who has already forgotten about the prank. He doesn't care because this show doesn't matter to him. He's just waiting for his manager, Mickey Bellinger, to show up and whisk him away to the real theater, which I think for him is only Broadway. That's the only thing that counts in yeah. his brain. Uh, Harry asks if Artie has picked out a dancer yet. Did you pick that dancer yet? What dancer? It doesn't matter. The best thing about dancers is the known fact they all bop. And uh, we get a quick timestamp here that this is 1951 specifically because I think he literally says, this is 1951. Absolutely does. <laughs> this is 1951. Uh, Harry raps another performance of Desert Rose singing Mine All Mine on stage. And one of the dancers asks Artie if he found a feather that she's missing and he's able to produce it immediately. I guess 
he found it and was holding on to it. Yeah. I feel like we should have seen that unless we did and I missed it. I don't think we do. But that sort of thing really honestly does happen all the time in theater. Yeah. But uh, he's like, oh, do you mean this one? And she's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Yeah. For some reason, since the feather thing worked once, Artie tries it on a bunch of other dancers. <laughs> yeah. Some of whom don't, don't even have, have feathers. feathers. Yeah. <laughs> he should uh, be a little bit more thoughtful about that yeah. one. <laughs> but then he manages to arrange kind of a half date with a girl who had iffy plans. He sees Dr. Faldauer working at the prop house, and he finds out that he started working here as, a, as security for the theater. Back at home, Artie speaks with his brother until the phone rings because he's talking about how things are going well and he's going to hook up with a dancer. And his brother's like, yeah, right. And he's like, boy, wouldn't you be surprised if that phone rang right now? Yeah, it's hysterical. Uh, It's Harry and he wants him to come out to the after party. When Artie gets there, Harry points out that Ramona is alone. And so Artie takes a seat next to her. It's it's weird that she's alone, but the guy that, she's supposedly dating is, here. is there and he gets jealous when he goes to sit with her yeah yeah and i was like wait why aren't you sitting with her then yeah because she she cast him off oh they broke up i think so okay harry is uh getting kind of made fun of here by the other jerk stagehands because there's a phone booth here at this bar that they're drinking at and no one's allowed to use the phone because his agent might call him on it and so anytime someone tries to use it he's like pushing people out of that that area harry starts shouting back at them with like a monologue and his lecture culminates with him feigning a heart attack or something at the table because he's so passionate about what he's saying and they're all freaking out because they think they gave this guy a heart attack and then they realize that he's reciting shakespeare and doing a scene cookie is uh is this the the lead jerk stagehand he's uh sort of the biff tannen character he notices that ramona and Artie have disappeared together and he's not happy about that. Which I believe is Harry's plan. Yeah. I think I think he was running a distraction. Oh. That yeah. makes sense. I think I missed that. In, or uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe, but it does make but sense. He, he, Harry has been pretty supportive so far yeah. of this kid. He's trying to help him out as much as he but can. But does he so like Artie it. or does he just hate this dick? I think it's both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's both. It's like two birds, one stone. Yeah. Both feed his ego. Artie and Ramona are in his truck parked behind his fraternity house yeah but he lives at home with his parents and we his can't take her home right but he doesn't he go home and sleep with his parents at, like at, at his parents house every night yes yeah so why doesn't he sleep at the fraternity house if he has a fraternity well it's the fraternity house i don't think he has a room there i guess you could be part of a fraternity and not live i don't know I, I never Probably pledged I, I thought they all stayed in the house is that part of is that a must even during the summer i don't know but they are in this car and they start kissing when suddenly headlights are shining through the back window and Ramona realizes that she's too old for making out in cars with boys. How old is she relative to him? Because I figure he's young. He's probably 19 at, at most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is she that much older than him? Uh, she's. Some. I think she's old enough to have other certain life experiences. Yeah. I guess. Uh, okay. Um, that she, she's. She could be at most 10 years older than him. But she also may have started making out with boys in cars at 14 or 15 and and any amount of you she could be 19 and be like i'm too old for this Artie seems to chalk this up as a flat rejection because as he said earlier god wouldn't let nice things like this happen to him in his anatomy class Artie is called on and it's un, sorry comparative anatomy class oh sorry uh in his comparative anatomy class Artie is called on and is unable to properly trace the 
urogenital system when prompted. Arthur pops by to visit his dad at work, and when his dad says he wants him to quit acting um, and start working, his dad admits that he doesn't consider the prop work to be a real job, and he claims that he would he would be okay if Artie was dropping out of school for a real job, but what he's doing isn't a real job. At another audition, the director yells at Ramona that she's not doing things right and that she'll never be good enough. That night, Artie watches Harry sabotage a piece of the set, and when the time comes for the stagehands to move the wall, all the hooks break off of it, and they have to push it by hand. And this is also when Ramona's out on the stage and Artie keeps trying to get her attention from off stage. Yeah. And it really yes. bothered me. Like it's, yeah. like, it's like she's already on the stage. You missed your chance. Yeah. Stop trying to get her to look at you when she's in the middle of a performance. It's pretty annoying. Just before heading out on stage, Harry hands a screwdriver to Cookie and says, I think you're going to need this. <laughs> and, uh, Cookie tries to like fight him right there, but he gets far enough out that it's like, too late. Yeah. <laughs> if you wanted to fight me, you should have done it on the sidelines, but I'm, I'm out on stage now. And everybody else is holding him back. I don't go in for, for, for pranks much during performances, but it's it's funny and amusing to, to watch Harry cheese them off from on stage. Right. N- knowing knowing when he can turn upstage so the audience won't see him, but that the people backstage will see him. Yeah. That was fun to watch. And every time it happens, Cookie's like set on fire again. Like, yeah. oh, God damn it. Yeah. Artie surprises Ramona in the prop house with an enormous paper flower. And they both catch Dr. Foldauer reciting Shakespeare to himself, wearing a full king's costume sitting on the throne upstairs. I loved this scene. I just thought it was really cute. Yeah, it is. That he's just doing doing a scene by himself. Yeah, that... he's just fulfilling his fantasy when nobody's watching. Yeah. Um, she's like, I don't think he's allowed to be here. She's like, it's fine. <laughs> don't worry about <laughs> it. An older guy in the cast comes to Harry and tells him about a radio job in Chicago that he's applying for. And he needs $65 to get there. So Harry just writes him a check right then and there. May I add that that uh, sixty-five dollars at the time was about six hundred and sixty-eight dollars now. Oh my god! So Harry's doing all right. It seems like if you're writing a check for that much, but he is pissed off to do it. Yeah, yeah. but he's he, he's making he the claim that oh we're gonna get this I'm gonna get this money back when you land a job so it's gonna be fine but it might not happen. Artie and Ramona go on a walk at night and she starts crying. She doesn't feel motivated enough to keep at it. And she's starting to believe what the director says, that she's not cut out for this. Artie tells her that she's actually a part of the theater, whereas he's just, you know, working behind it and that he doesn't know what he's doing. And he thinks that she's going to be great if she just sticks to it. And she says that he'd make a very sensitive playwright because he knows people and he knows how to listen and talk to people. Yeah, I don't understand why that instigates him to want to be a writer, though, because... Well, because... I guess because she believes in him and she her her opinion is now more important to him than anything. Yeah. Yeah, he believes in her and 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 he adores her very superficially and so what what she says to him cuts right to the heart. And I don't think he actually is a very good listener at all. I don't think so either. But I also think this is probably the first time anyone's ever given him a compliment or said he's good at a thing that he might want to do. Yeah. So like if someone told me, "Hey, you know what you would be good at? Ice cream tasting," and I would be like, "That's a job? Where do? Yeah, I'm gonna sign up for that. <laughs> I'm gonna move to New York and taste ice cream." Yeah, yeah, but I don't. I just still don't think that people just jump in like, "Oh, writing? I've never written anything in my life. Movie That's what do. I'm gonna do." I mean, this guy did. The guy who wrote this movie did that kind of. But I'm I, sure he didn't do it on a whim because a girl said, "Hey, well, you can write." It's the problem I have with I think it's Spider-Man Two, where the entire movie it's just like. 
so what should I do, doctor? And he's like, well, if I were that guy, yeah, I'd stop that's... being Spider-Man. And it just cuts to him throwing away the Spider-Man suit. It's like, that's all you need. Like, the doctor just said stop being Spider-Man, so he stopped. Right. And people are like, well, what would you do? Well, I would go back to being Spider-Man. And then he's Spider-Man again. Like, every time he asks somebody what they would do in his position, he just does whatever they say, no matter who it is. Yeah. The point of this whole story is that Artie is... Uh, he's impressionable. Yeah, very impressionable and very naive. And this is him breaking the naivete. I mean, it has everything to do with the fact that he doesn't know who he is yet. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But at this, the end of this conversation with Ramona, she asks how soon he can find them a place because she plans on making him a man of the theater. She wants to She wants to not be in a car or hang out at his parents' house. Yeah. She wants to have a place together, and she wants to make him more confident in his abilities. Wait, but not a place for them together, right? Like, just no. a place to go... A place to have sex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she doesn't want to move in with him or anything. No, yeah. Not at all. No. Uh, the next day we hear the tail end of a phone call and it seems that Artie is being ejected from his fraternity. No, he, he he's looking for someone with, with a spare room or a spare bed that, yeah. that, that he can take Ramona to. That's all. Artie brings another box of props to rehearsal and it's he gets a dress down again from the director before he turns his target on Harry, who is missing and wasting everybody's time. Artie goes to find him at the bar, and he's on the phone. Uh, he's trying to get through to Mickey Bellinger's office, and Artie's like, you got to go back to rehearsal. The director's really mad. And he says he doesn't want to waste his best years here in this tiny theater. He wants to be back on Broadway. And Artie worries out loud that if Harry is fired, that he won't know what to do with his life because he's kind of using this guy as his, as his idol or his mascot here. And he's like, if you were gone, I don't have anybody. I mean, I have Ramona, I guess, but... She's like a backup dancer, and she doesn't have the same kind of pull that Harry does, where Harry's constantly stepping in and deflecting the director. Yeah. Redirecting the director. Redirecting. There you go. <laughs> Plus, uh, R- Ramona's very burnt out, and Harry still summons up the, the, right. the uh, vim and energy to push push around people. Harry says, oh, well, you know what? You're right. I'll, I'll go to the rehearsal. I guess Mickey Bellinger knows where to find me. It's strike night, and the stagehands plan to disassemble the stage as soon as the actors leave it. Artie climbs the backdrop and tips it forward. <laughs> he rides it the whole way to the stage, uh, but he walks off of it very gracefully. But I think this is like the first moment of him actually bonding with the other stagehands because he's like, hey, look, I figured out a funny way to do a thing. Also, did, did you mention that, that in, in the previous scene, Harry gave him a spear key? Oh, to the house, right, because he needed a place. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually what's more motivating him to work quickly and be enthusiastic. Right. Suddenly his parents show up. They're getting ready to shit all over Artie's livelihood again. Well, they came because he used the excuse of strike night, saying, I'm going to be out all night long. Right. And because he was going to go back to Harry's right. place. And yeah. so right. his parents showed up to be like, I can't imagine why this would take all night. We wanted to see what you were doing. But I like that they came after the show. Like, they didn't come to see the show. No. Did they come they, to see the show? No. I, they literally just came to see why it would take so long to strike the stage. Okay. I've always <laughs> thought that they did come to see the show. No, I think they would have said at least something about it or been slightly more supportive, but instead they just came after the show because they were like, we don't give a shit about the dumb show that you helped make. Okay. We just came here to tell you that you're doing your job too slowly. Okay. And, and we're going to stay here until you have to go home. And yeah, we're just going to go home That's together. really going to be helpful. Just yeah. stand there and watch. <laughs> but uh, Harry intervenes very quickly to try and schmooze them. And it's working on mom more than it's working on dad. Yeah. She's like immediately like captivated by him because of his, his ability to perform. So Harry's got to work extra hard to charm them over because I've always thought like they just watched the whole show with him as the star. 
Right. Like now the star's backstage and talking to you personally. Yeah, no, he, I, I think they just, didn't watch the show. He's just winning them over as a, the best dressed man right. in backstage right now. Yeah. Paying but, attention to them. And he also starts with that strategy of like, I agree with you. Theater's a bunch of garbage. Right. You guys are right. Your son's wasting his life. But, and yeah. then he just like goes into some arguments in favor of it and how, you know, it's a it's a fantasy land and yeah. they, they actually help people by doing this. And uh, somehow they leave excited about their son's job. I think mom more than dad, because even as they're walking off stage, the dad's like, I don't know about that, yeah. though. Oh, you're so suspicious. Yeah. Mr. Suspicious. But they also spot, uh, Artie's dad spots the truck. Yeah. And yeah. sees Ramona passed out in it. That's right. Because right. That's she's waiting for him. After breaking down the set, Artie brings Ramona back to Harry's apartment and is confused by mail that's addressed to Harold Krebs. And he's like, I didn't know Harry had a roommate. Oh, and they're both named Harry. That's weird. Yes, <laughs> and, but one of them has like an acceptable acting name, Harry, Harry Crystal, and the other one's Harry Krebs. Yeah, but clearly it's this. This is the same guy. Artie talks about his Thanksgiving plans, and Ramona's like, "Yeah, I don't know if we're gonna do Thanksgiving together. Um, I, don't, I don't usually plan that far in advance." Uh, they both undress, and with the exception of these undergarments, there's really not a whole lot to remind us that this takes place in the fifties. Uh, it seems like this could just as easily <laughs> have happened in 1980. The furniture, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's small town Cleveland in the middle of the summer. Like, I feel like everything that happened so far could have happened in 1980. And it's I would a yeah. timeless tale. Yeah, we, <laughs> it is. Uh, I got to say, though, this scene is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> when you know everything that's going on and you look back at it, <laughs> especially j- just even on the surface level that, that, that R- Ramona tells him, like, you scare me sometimes. Because you're so naive and you're floating in a bubble and it's going to burst. Yeah. And he does not let that sink in. He just, rawr, he bounces yeah. on yeah. her. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's I got what I want. Yeah. There's definitely something she should be saying right here. Yeah. She's just leaving leaving out. Yep. Artie is temporarily cock-blocked by a phone call from Mickey Bellinger. He will be there Thursday to see the show. Artie tells Harry, and uh, I feel like I wouldn't have. Uh, Artie, Artie tells Harry about Mickey, and he gets very hyped up about it. Well, well, hold on. We'll backtrack that. Why wouldn't you have? Because he does the show well every night. People appreciate the performance. Yeah, but I feel like that's not true, because I think when he sees Mickey in I think the he's theater, overdoing it when he sees Mickey. But that's for him to decide to do. Yeah. Sure. But I, I felt like what might have been a better approach would be like, my parents are going to come this night. Can you just try and do... You know, give it a little extra zhuzh for for. That's insulting. I don't agree. Yeah, I don't agree. Because if you tell him, oh, Mickey Bellinger's going to be there that night, and then he fucks it all up because he's like, psych, psychs himself out about it. All he cares about is this next big gig that he wants to get from Mickey Bellinger. Yeah, but he might be able to, he might be more likely to get this job if he, it's a, like a subtle, like realistic performance that he does every night rather than this one that he does which is like this hyped up kind of silly a little bit like i feel like they even try and make the performance look goofy when he's doing it on stage for mickey yeah well the material is naturally goofy yeah that's true i must say and also you know live theater is not about subtlety that's true but harry's all excited he thinks that it's like a featured role in a rogers and hammerstein musical when it's already clear to us that he's going to be very disappointed with whatever whatever he has to bring yeah he's got high hopes but for no reason, he just assumes, what's the best possible thing Mickey could want to see me about? <laughs> Leaving the theater that afternoon, Artie's father pulls up and takes him for a drive. He got a letter from the dean informing him that his son has officially dropped out of college and uh, he'll be getting his tuition refunded. And he says, wonderful. Or they can use it to buy a gun to kill itself. 
for you. He tells his dad that he wants to move to New York and be a playwright, even though he doesn't really know what a playwright is. I mean, it especially sucks that this happened because he made a promise at the beginning of this film. He promised. He said, I took this job, and if it becomes too much, I will quit this job. I will stay in school. I will study if it becomes too much. And he did exactly the opposite of that. It's true. At the show that night, Dr. Faldauer brings his granddaughter. Mickey Bellinger's seat is still empty as the play begins. A cab pulls up and Mickey enters the theater probably 15 minutes into the show. But uh, everybody's been watching through a hole in the curtain to see when Mickey was there. And by the time he goes out on stage, Harry thinks that he's not he's not showing. But in the middle of the show, he notices Mickey sitting in the chair and then he turns his performance up five notches. Actually, I like when the cab drops him off. Yeah. Because the, the, the cabbie's like, well, the, the show's half over. Like, enjoy. And he's yeah. like, ah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care. Yeah. Backstage, Sherman, the director, is throwing a fit because there's no entrance for the background dancers. Artie well, loses his patience. Well, uh, but before that, Hayden, Harry no- notices and doesn't tell anybody, and, and he just maneuvers through the scenery to get around. Oh, interesting. To, to make his entrance. Yeah, because he, he comes back for the one of the props, yeah. and he goes, Where, where's the entrance? Yeah. And, and then he does, he I forget it, and he runs, runs around. <laughs> he runs all the way around, yeah. So now Artie is, is mad because Sherman's chewing everybody out about it, and he pulls out a knife and he just stabs Sherman to death here. No. He, he <laughs> One of the stagehands thinks that's going to happen. Yeah. Because he, well, there's like, oh, my God. Yeah, no, yeah. Artie, cool. no. <laughs> and then, no. Artie. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he cuts a big, uh, he, he draws a door. Draw a door. I, <laughs> I, knock three times. <laughs> I, I think it would have been even better if Artie pulls out the knife and Dr. Faldauer, as the security goes, Knife! (laughs) (laughs) Artie just dies backstage. I think I might have liked that ending better. Um, (laughs) Blood spatters all over Mickey Ballinger and he just stands up to applaud his show. (laughs) Bravo! (laughs) It's like Birdman. The doctor's proud for having done his job. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, yeah, he cuts cuts a big rectangle in in this backdrop that everybody can sneak through to dance and he tells Sherman that he's a big prick. Watching the performance, I'm guessing that Bellinger takes someone other than Harry, possibly Ramona, although that wouldn't make a lot of sense because she's a background dancer and not a great one at that, according to Sherman's standards. Bellinger half applauds, looking relatively bored and leaves in a rush. Backstage, Bellinger tells Harry, hey, you know what? I got something lined up. It's a second lead in The Student Prince. It sounds like it's a touring group where Harry was looking for something on Broadway that would stay in place. And as he walks away from Harry, he asks where the lead dancer is because he'd like to have a conversation with her. Harry is obviously very upset and takes this out on everyone around him, starting with Dr. Faldauer and his granddaughter. I was I was worried during the show that Faldauer was going to be like, oh, you know what? There's an open seat right there. You can sit right there and oh. let her take Mickey Bellinger's seat and that he wasn't even going to be have a place to sit for the show and he was going to leave. <laughs> And that Harry was just going to murder him. Oh, God. Luckily, no. Yeah. I I thought uh, that Bellinger wanted to talk to Ramona specifically. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to Harry's credit, he he thinks less of Bellinger at first and says, uh, hey, you know, she's kind of spoken for. But but Bellinger... defends himself by saying no no i just want to i just i just want to talk to her yeah it's just professional i'm not here for a thrill yeah because he's trying to defend her for for Artie. that's right which is actually as we find out later not true yeah right (laughs) (laughs) and maybe that's not even what harry meant 
He, yes, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't know exactly who he's defending or for what. Yeah. Harry just starts screaming at the granddaughter because she's like playing with the props and parts of the stage. Yeah, and, cape, yes. and he's just like, what are you doing? Like, you can't be back here and chewing her out. He doesn't care about any of this, but he's pretending to be very upset about it because he needs someone to yell at. And Dr. Faldauer is embarrassed and uh, everybody feels really sorry for him. And Harry's basically going to get him fired. He tells Sherman to get this guy off the stage and keep him away from the theater. He moves back to his dressing room to smoke. And when Artie comes in, he he's very mad at Harry because that wasn't called for. It's like, you know, if Bellinger pissed you off, yell at Bellinger. Later, we see Bellinger and Ramona leaving the theater at the same time. And Ramona tells Artie that Bellinger promised her a role in a Cole Porter show with lines and a solo. And uh, Artie seems like a very unsupportive dick here. <laughs> like, they're sitting in the car together. And she's like, oh, I got all this cool stuff. And he's like, great. How long were you guys in there together? And it's like, first of all, you should have been like, that's really cool. <laughs> no matter what, you should have been supportive for this yeah. thing that she clearly wanted and got. Lead with that first. But she admits that she let Bellinger feel her up for the role. And when Artie asks how uh, New York is supposed to work, she admits, oh, you know what? I'm also married. <laughs> so New York is not going to happen. I don't know why you thought we were going to move there together. This is, this is a big moment, yes. especially for Artie. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't want to just rush, yep. rush over it. Because yep. uh, he's just so devastated that he you know, he's quit school. He's yelled at his dad. And uh, and all this is coming crashing down on him now. And, and she's just sitting there. And he starts the car. And he's just like sitting there staring while the car is idling. And I was like, I was like well, get out of the car, Ramona. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Wait, why isn't that happening?" Yeah, I would have said, "Get out of the car." He's still trying to be a gentleman about it. Really, he really is. But I think he's also realizing in this moment that right now, he didn't quit school for the theater. He quit school specifically for her. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so when that falls apart, he's like, "Oh shit!" Like I just totaled my life for a married lady who is not interested in me in that way. And she sent me signals for this whole movie, but he wasn't picking them up. So Artie goes home and he tells his father, hey, I'm quitting the theater. I'm going to go back to school. And his dad, while probably happy to hear that he's going to go back to school, seems genuinely sad for him. Yeah. Like he doesn't like to see his son upset, obviously. But uh, we'll turn that right around. (laughs) Uh, Backstage at the theater, Artie admits to Harry that he's considering leaving. And Harry says, no, you're not. You're you're hooked on this and you're going to be here forever. He has a quick, uncomfortable moment with Ramona where they kind of lock eyes and then turn away from each other awkwardly because that's over now. And Harry claims to have signed with an even bigger agent than Bellinger. He's looking for it. He's hoping to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but he, he's, he's still going to do the road show. Right. And he assures Artie that... There's always a bigger agent. There's always a better job. And there's always a prettier girl. And then Harry takes to the stage to sing The Man with the Heart of a King and close out the show to riotous applause. And that's the end of our film. I like that Harry comes around at the end after his big disappointment. I think that it shows why he's lasted exactly. in this business for so yeah. long that he doesn't let things, you know, hang over him. Yeah, he, he gets pissed off for a day and right. then he gets over it and he he's like, "All right, through. if I don't keep trying, then this isn't going to yeah, work out." It's never going to happen, right? But he also it also forces people to stay at a distance from him because you never know when he's going to go yeah. go off on you. He's yeah. hot and cold. But I also would love to see the moment when Artie gets home and he's like, just kidding, dad, I'm quitting school again and I'm going to work at the theater again. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he is. Yeah, I, we, I, we don't I, know about that. Yeah. I feel like the implication is that that he's getting this uh, from Harry like, oh, I thought you were like done with it. You were so pissed off at everybody that you were going to leave 
but you have to stick it out and you're telling me I'm going to stick it out. So I guess I am. I don't know if I believe he definitely is going back because I think that in addition to it showing why Harry has been in this so long, it also shows that he's just sort of in la la land. He's just, he is out and he's gotten that, that bug and and he doesn't have that sense of realism. Like maybe I should pack this in and do something else. Yeah. And he's like, maybe I don't know people as well as I thought I did. He does not. Yeah. But he's learning. Right. Uh, also, Harry uh, begins to slightly warm back up to D- D- Dr. Faldauer backstage because he says, hey, kid, as he's passing by. Yeah. I believe, um, even though this is based on somebody else's life who did get into theater uh, b- beginning in med school, I see um, uh, Artie's future as something more like Dr. Faldauer, where he will discover it later in life. Yeah, he'll he'll come back and be a security guard for a couple summers. Yeah. Until a, an actor chews him out. She's at his own, his own grandchild. Yeah. yeah. And then he'll he'll resign in embarrassment after shooting a stagehand who he thought was going to stab the director. <laughs> He's got a knife. <laughs> Our director here was Michael Pressman. Before this, he directed Bad News Bears uh, in Breaking Training, which I think is the third film. No, that's the second one. Second installment of the franchise. Uh, immediately after this, he did Dr. Detroit. Yeah. Uh, but then it's mostly TV movies in the 80s. And he came back to do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. Ooh. And lately he has a lot of, yeah, ooze. Uh, he has a lot of prestige TV credits lately, a lot of Law and Orders, a couple Justifieds, including one a friend of mine wrote. VJ wrote the episode that he directed. And uh, he also produced Lake Placid. Um, our writer here, David Shaber, I said before that he wrote The Warriors and Last Embrace. He also wrote Nighthawks. And somehow he's an uncredited screenwriter on hunt for red october but he his writing credit for the warriors shows up again in the warriors video game for xbox that came out frank langella was harry crystal he was nixon in frost v nixon frost v nixon is that what it's called i think that's yes. what it's called was it just I frost, it was nixon. Called, I frost, it frost that's nixon. it yeah they're not yeah. fighting yeah <laughs> that would be a better movie frost we're v. fighting nixon. it's like face off and yeah. frost nixon yeah the slash you just move through it I want to see like Nixon's head pop off like a rock'em sock'em robot. Now. <laughs> I want to take Nixon's face off. <laughs> uh, he was also Skeletor in <laughs> Masters of the Universe. That's right. And he's Frank in real life and in the movie Frank from uh, Frank. Is it what is the movie called? I, robot Frank? and Frank. Robot and Frank, not Frank mm. and Robot. Because I was like Frank and Robot sounds wrong. That's not right. It sounds like Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, he's Frank from Robot and Frank. And he's Boris Balkan from The Ninth Gate. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like a good role that I like for him. The it's Ninth Gate is that with Johnny Depp? And yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's a weird the one. Polanski movie. I liked that one. I want to say uh, before this, uh, uh, Langella worked on stage a lot, and he continued sure. to, to do too. He won a Tony Award for playing Dracula in, in 1977. And also uh, won a, a Tony Award for a, a show called Seascapes, which is about um, a husband and wife who talk to lizards on their yard. Okay. <laughs> and b- before this, he was um, the first American cast member to play Salieri in Amadeus on stage. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Oh, no, after this. Pardon me. It was 1985 when he did that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Glynis O'Connor was Ramona. She's the girl next door and love interest of John Travolta in The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. A TV movie directed by Randall Kleiser, director of uh, The Blue Lagoon and uh, Flight of the Navigator. Sally and Johnny Dangerously, which I think is the brother's fiance. Yes. Um, that's a that's a fun scene so where he's like, I'm going to get married. And he's like, shows him a video of why he shouldn't have sex. The whole <laughs> movie's like, fun. Yeah. It's like your nuts are going to explode. Uh, Tom Hulse was Artie Shoemaker, speaking of Amadeus. 
he was Larry Kroger in Animal House. He's the voice of Quasimodo in Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame. He plays Larry in Parenthood, but he's probably best known for playing Amadeus in Amadeus, which earned him an Oscar nomination. I wonder if he's also the singing voice in Hunchback. I'm he sure is. he is. He yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You say Amadeus, Amadeus. Sorry. No. Amadeus, <laughs> Amadeus. Oh, Amadeus. Amadeus, Amadeus. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I think <laughs> you're lazy. Hold a second opinion. You're also crazy. Jerry Stiller was Mr. Schumacher. Uh, he plays Frank Costanza on Seinfeld. He works often with son Ben Stiller in films like Zoolander and Heavyweights and Reality Bites. We had his wife Ann Mira earlier this year in Fame. And for our Patreon review of Out of Towners, she was the woman whose purse keeps getting stolen. Jerry was also Lieutenant Rico Patron in The Taking of Pelham 123. He is Wilbur Turnblad in Hairspray. And we just lost him. Just lost him a couple of weeks ago. So that's a bummer. He's a funny guy. Herbert Bergdoff was Dr. Julius Faldauer. He's Rivetowski and Harry and Tonto from the director of our next film. He played Theodotus in Cleopatra, and he was Franz Calder in Red Planet Mars, which sounds like a cool one. Kevin McCarthy was Mickey Bellinger. I love Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, he was the campaign manager earlier this year in Hero at Large. He's in the 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, my second favorite version of that story. Dr. Hoke in Piranha. He played Fred Francis in The Howling. He's Victor Scrimshaw in Inner Space. <laughs> yeah. And uh, UHF is, is his best role. I feel like every time you mention him, I'm like, who is that? And you tell me all these roles and I never remember And then when I get to UHF, do you remember him from UHF? <laughs> no. He's, He's the, the guy villain. that runs the network station. I've seen that maybe once, like a long time ago. A UHF station. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting to, to tell people about this for years, but because... Um, he only died maybe 10 or 12 years ago yeah, and stayed in the public eye for, for, for a long time. As he aged and got older, he began to look like Mo Howard as Mo Howard was very old. Okay. So up until the day he died, I was hoping for him to be cast as old Mo Howard in some production somewhere. That would be interesting. But it never happened, yeah. so it can't be interesting. Uh, Joseph Marr, or Maher, played Phoebe Geyer. That was Dr. Coulson in Just Tell Me What You Want earlier this year. Uh, he'll be back next year in Going Ape and Under the Rainbow. He plays Lucas Budlong in My Stepmother is an Alien, mm -hmm. Bishop O'Hara in Sister Act, yeah, and White House Decorator in Mars Attacks. <laughs> uh, George Morfogan played Sherman Spratt, the director. He'll be back later this year as Don Dowd in Times Square. Uh, he's also Leon Leondopoulos in They All Laughed next year, which I think was Dorothy Stratton's first and last uh, studio film the one that peter bogdanovich directed her in uh, marshall colt was cookie he's the father in flowers in the attic rose eric was mrs schumacher she's gloria cunliffe in a new leaf she's mrs clark dustin hoffman's mom in ishtar william robertson was mr henry earlier this year he was a bum in hero at large who ritter buys coffee for even though he's broke he'll be back later this year as a guard in christmas evil which was his final credit randy stumpf played loomis uh, i don't know who loomis was but his only other feature credit was andy in silent night deadly night he's one of the prankster uh, uh oh, okay. the, the backstage hands too uh jordan charney was the professor hey dean yeager yeah <laughs> exactly uh our second yeager in a row after chuck in Wait. our previous film Smokey and the bandit 2 
was this the one when we were watching the film and you're like, who is this guy? He plays a dean in something. That's yeah, right. that's exactly what I said. That's right. I could not figure it out. And then you pulled it up and I was like, it's oh like my God, dean I'm such Yeager. an idiot. Something indeed. And here he is still working in the, 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 yeah. the college. Center. He never left the campus. No. Uh, Harry Hunter in Network. And he's also Hitchcock in The Hospital, which is a fun one. Uh, Deborah Goodrich was another dancer. She plays Nikki in April Fool's Day. She's Deborah in Just One of the Guys. And she's Jenny in Out on a Limb with Matthew Broderick. Uh, Jennifer Engsat played Dreamboat Number 2. I don't know what that means. This was her first feature film, but she'll show up as Judith in 1982's Blood Song, which is the horror movie we mention a lot, written by Luca Brazzi about a killer murdering people who have received his blood in transfusions. <laughs> uh, then uh, she disappeared for a while, and her next credit was as an auditioner in 2008's Zack and Miri Make a Porno, and then she played Sam's mom in The Perks of Being a Wallflower. The the plays that that, that, that they're actually performing, the, the sure. musicals, are, are quite interesting to me. Yeah. The first one that that, that we see is, is called The the Desert Song. Right. And th- this t- taking place in 1951. Mm-hmm. And Harry complaining about, oh, they're, playing, they're, they're just performing all these old musicals. I got to get out of this town. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Desert Song what was first performed in 1926. Okay. So I would say he's w- within his right to say it's out of touch. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a very interesting story because it's a romance adventure story about a French officer who is secretly in disguise as a character called the Red Shadow, who is in fact the leader of a band of, of Arab rebels called the, the Riffs. And so it's... um. It was influenced by a real uh, uh, uprising in Morocco where a tribe uh, fought off Spanish colonists in 1921. Huh. And it, it was also uh, inspired by the renown of T.E. Lawrence, uh, who, right. who went on to, to inspire Lawrence of Arabia, and, and also the, uh, the popularity of Rudolph Valentino. Oh, okay. So all that, you know, 30 years later, they're still performing it in Ohio. It's interesting there Here's was already a play five years later for that of that story it was popular yeah it really it really caught on yeah yeah so we um we hear some songs from that and the and the, the, those are the scenes of course when people are talking about camels or wearing headdresses and right. things like that yeah um we also see the red mill which is a comedy that was first performed in 1906 so much older much older but it had five years but it, it, it had a revival in 1945 which kept it in the the, the, the public mind, and, and so that's why they're still performing it in 1951. Yeah. That is about two American vaudevillians who wreak havoc at an inn in Holland, and they interfere they, they, they interfere with two separate marriages that, that, that are planned. Okay, here's one that actually has some still relevance in pop culture: Rosemary, which is a romantic drama. Right, that was the the one where where they they, they were dressed as Mounties mm-hmm. marching around and dancing. Um, so that that's about um, a Canadian girl and a mine worker who are in love, but the mine worker is um, is suspected of murder. The girl Rosemary, her brother suggests that she ditch the mine worker for a wealthy town man instead. Okay, and um, and that Rosemary song was very popular and re-recorded by by Slim Whitman. Okay. In addition to the uh, an, another song from that show, which you also hear a little bit of, Indian Love Call. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Slim Whitman's Indian Love Call is the only song I know by Slim Whitman because it's the one that they use at the end of Mars Attack That's right. yeah. to That's blow right. the aliens' heads up. That's right. <laughs> I'm calling you. Preachy. 
I think these guys are very sick. What's happening to them? What's killing them? I think it must be my music. Yeah, so it's from this show, the, 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 this drama. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah. So one of these shows used lyrics that caused us to have this title, those lips, those eyes. Yeah, from The Vagabond King. Okay. That's the last show. Does he even say it in the movie? Kind of. It's like you hear it from off stage. You hear you 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 hear him say it. The, the, there's focus on it. It's not lyrics, but in fact dialogue. The story goes that that a, a, a French poet and thief woos a member of French royalty, and um, and then he becomes king for a day and defends France against the Duke of Burgundy. First produced in 1925. The dialogue, as far as I can tell, that inspires the the title is this thief poet character, of course, played by Harry in the story. He says. And to swear allegiance to your lips, your eyes, your hair, beneath your feet, what treasures I would fling if I were king. Okay. So it's paraphrasing that. Yeah. It, it, it means the thing that you're looking at, the thing that you are enamored with, the, you, your passion that you're chasing in life, the stories about people who are passionate. Yeah. And the stories about people falling in or out of love with something. I think that that's a great analysis of the title. I think that that sounds accurate to me, but I think coming from it from the outside, if you are going to go see a movie, it's a terrible title. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you have no I, yeah. idea what all that means. And also, it's it's a very strange choice to paraphrase the dialogue. If you're if it's a reference to that part of the dialogue, you should use the line from the play. Right. Shouldn't infer. It should be yeah. really obvious. Yeah. 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 I it, it really bothered me. So It'd be like, be or not be. <laughs> do it or don't <laughs> suicide question mark <laughs> going into this movie i once again i don't think i was listening at the end of the episode when you described what we were going to be watching because yeah. i usually tune out at that point i i was thinking that we were going to go in and watch some horror movie or something you know that it was going to be just about, lips and eyeballs all over the floor well <laughs> it was going to be about some stalker or something yeah, some you know, pervert some, where the, the, the last thing you see are, are his lips and his eyes yeah some obsessed man or something but, I mean, I guess we did see a movie about a man obsessed with theater, but it was a little bit of a letdown based the, on the, the fact title, that I thought it was going to be a horror movie. He was like, he pulled out a knife. Finally! <laughs> <laughs> it, Slow burn movie. It does kind of sound like someone's last words as they're dying, like, those lips, those eyes, as they bleed out. <laughs> he had yellow eyes. So help me God. Yellow so help eyes. me God. Yellow it's eyes. eyes. <laughs> a Christmas story also also re- recorded in Ohio and takes place in Ohio around the same time period. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. In fact, I had seen this movie before this podcast was ever launched. Because <laughs> oh, my God. Be- that be- long really? ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be- because both of my parents were born and raised in Ohio. Oh, okay. And just about maybe five or six years ago, um, so uh, going further back, um, my dad is the uh, third youngest of seven children. Okay. And he grew up... He, he he was born in the late forties, and so he and a lot of his siblings would have been about Artie's uh, kids' brothers' age right now. Okay, in the story, um, in fact, I would say his older siblings would have been that age when this story takes place. So, uh, his sisters knew people who performed at the theater that this was inspired. Oh, by, interesting. That they hmm. recorded at the one that he actually worked at at this time period. The that's, screenwriter. Did. That's right. Okay, and so six or seven years ago or so, my dad told me about, hey, my sister told me that this movie is gonna be on cable, I'll record it for you. Um, it was it was, it was was recorded in Ohio at a theater that that, that, that was real. And um, and I I watched it because he said like, it's about the, the, this this kid who takes place in theater. I thought, well, that's for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
And so I was really glad for this opportunity to come on and 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 share it with uh, with all of you. And, yeah, absolutely. And talk about it. Well, so, we appreciate it. So based on the fact that there was it four or five p- different performances. Four. Four. Was it four? I feel like this movie takes place over a longer period of time than yeah. Yeah. it feels like. It like, looks it, like a week. It, no. it, yeah, it yeah. looks like a week. It's but at least four weeks. At, well, at least four weeks. At Any least. given one performance has got to probably be on for you know two or three weeks, a minimum, right? No, you can see a banner at the beginning of what, when the first show is being performed. It it's has the two, whole season. Two nights. Yeah, each show get, gets like Friday and Saturday. Every That's Friday crazy. and Saturday is a yeah. different how did, show. How did they turn over at the theater this quickly for all these shows and learn all these performances and it just seems crazy that harry could even keep all these shows in his head well it doesn't sound like they're so fresh that he's having to learn them you yeah, know, yeah i guess they're old so old he just familiar knows them. popular shows and that hey that's sense. theater baby yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but but also that that's what sherman is upset with ramona about during rehearsal um uh Later on throughout the movie, he he keeps insulting her and calling her Twinkle Toes or Miss New York because she it takes her a while to get to know the the, the dance moves that they're trying to teach everybody. Because she's new to it. Because she's she's new or she's not as great or maybe she's too old now. Sure. But um, the turnover is incredible. You have to be an incredibly adept dancer. You, you they don't have time for you to get to know it. Mm-hmm. You just need to pick it up immediately and run with it. So mm-hmm. it's difficult. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna. I'm going to give it a down, unfortunately. I don't think I would recommend this movie to anyone. I think that it suffers from the fact that, you know, like we said at the beginning, if you're a theater person, I think you get it. And I think you might enjoy this movie. But if you're not a theater person, I don't think it has a broad appeal. I don't think that a lot really happens in the film. And it's not super satisfying. So I I give it a down. I I think I'm, with the same points, have the same... Uh, diagnosis. I'm, I give it a down also probably. Uh, I also give it a down. Um, I was uncertain as to whether I'm supposed to be following Artie or Harry. Yeah. I feel like Artie is the main character, mm-hmm. but Harry has the more interesting plot line. Yeah, yeah of, absolutely. Of, of is he going to make it? Is this call going to come through? Is, is yeah. his life going to get better? Where Artie's life is already kind of okay. Yeah. He's making a lot of bad decisions and that's 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 great. But I was really more interested in what was happening with Harry and whether or not these things were going to happen for him. Yeah. And we don't even really get a concrete answer to that. Like, is this other gig going to work out with this new agent? Yeah. Or is the touring thing going to be a step up from what he's doing now? Right. It's 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 unclear at the end uh, where, where he's going. Uh, Patrick, I assume this is an up from you. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would recommend this. I got to admit, I would recommend it more to theater people. But- at least I can give that a recommendation. Yes. So I feel a little bit bad because I think that this is a very capably made movie. Right. It was mm-hmm. shot well. I think all the acting was great. Um, I didn't have any problems with, you know, the dialogue or the acting or the the general premise. It just wasn't super interesting. There just wasn't enough of a hook. I, yeah. I, I see why he was he sold two other scripts on before, the way to this be, one. before he could get For this sure. one done. Absolutely. Yeah. And why this was a flop. Yeah, that's true. Why, why we haven't heard on. of this one. Yeah, yeah, this didn't catch on. It's obscure. Um, I, I've, I've, I've been meaning to, to ask, and now I can, since you have all watched uh, uh, Caddyshack on here, this feels like the unsuccessful dramatic version of Caddyshack. Yeah, I can see that. Where, where Caddyshack 
starts out pretending to be about the caddy. Mm-hmm. And then your attention gets grabbed by all the other kooky, crazy, colorful characters. Yeah. And by the end of it, like, huh? There was a there, there was a kid's future at stake here? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not really. really. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. No, that I can see the comparison there, yeah. definitely. But this rides with the kid all the way. And even by the end, like, well, goodbye. I don't know if I care. Yeah. <laughs> le- le- and we even disagreed personally on on at the end of this film if he walks away from it or if he sticks to the theater yeah. like it's not clear and that's art <laughs> yeah um letterbox list what are we thinking jess uh so i'm gonna put this uh it's pretty far down the list it's somewhere in the 70s and i didn't count exactly but it's uh right below holy moses and right above the high cost of living okay richard uh i have i have it uh a little bit higher uh it's gonna be just below a small circle of friends and just above hangar 18 uh, which puts it at number 61. Okay. And I guess I should say that mine's this low, not because it's a bad movie, but just because I don't think I ever need to watch it yeah. again. And this is the order in which I would rewatch a movie. Right. Excellent point. I had a thrill of rewatching this, actually, because, like I said, I saw it years ago and then I rewatched it twice to, to, to freshen up for this. But um, I got to say, there are many better movies that exist, especially better movies came from this same year. Uh, so keeping in mind that that I've only seen about 20 or so uh, of the movies that you've all seen so far, um, I would put this like two thirds of the way down for me, um, uh, right below Coal Miner's Daughter and right above Where the Buffalo Roam. Okay. Um, I actually have it kind of in the middle. It's in 48th place. Um, for me, it's just under Midnight Madness, just above Hide in Plain Sight. And, uh, a little bit higher on mine. I have this zone of movies where it's like, I understand the story and and the screenwriter didn't do a bad job it's just not my thing <laughs> and that sure. it falls right in that in that section i was w- wondering uh how how you guys were going, going to approach all the uh the theater details of it because it genuinely was funny uh, listening to you all talk about the nijinsky movie and admit that you didn't <laughs> know anything about yeah that. yeah <laughs> and that's still the case, by the way. We haven't. <laughs> yeah, we don't know any more well, about the stage than we did then. To be fair, I I do a little bit. I actually right, worked did. at an opera theater for a while. Yeah, so there you go. I do know some of this stuff. Don't sell yourself so short. <laughs> but it was not relevant to what this guy did because you worked in the props department making yeah. things for the stage. I don't know anything oh, about ballet. That's oh, exactly uh, what he did. <laughs> I don't know anything about ballet, so I don't know Dinjinsky, but I know. Right. I know behind the stage. Yeah. I know I was. It was scenic carpentry that I did, so it was a different department than props. But I. I was friends with the props people. Yeah, nice. You made some cool. I guess they're not technically. They props. were scenery. I didn't do props. You do gates and mm-hmm. and cornfields and stuff. Yep. Cool things. Why don't you talk to us a little bit more about your podcast? Okay. So I'm part of a uh, voice acting performance group. We call ourselves the Green Giraffes, and there's about ten or eleven of us, depending on what time you meet. Uh, we uh, collaborated w- with some professional uh, uh, producers and editors and writers, and recorded a sketch comedy podcast called uh, Free Candy Van. There's only about uh, six episodes out, uh, but we're very proud of them. They're, they were released about two years ago, but uh, we still think they're f- that they're fresh, and you can download them wherever you get uh, podcasts for free. And, and, and for, for seven years, some friends of mine and I who were locals to this town where we were recording, we recorded a, a show called Watch Movie Do Podcast. It also stars another husband and wife team and since, <laughs> and uh, since some other friends who, who come along too. Even me. And Richard's been on there too. <laughs> Richard has been a, a, a well-ballyhooed guest, guest appearance. 
And um, and so, like I said, we, we've got seven years worth of episodes on there. We have not recorded anything since last summer. I don't know if we will again, but our our uh, our episodes are still available um, wherever podcasts are sold. Yeah, wherever they're sold or it's, given away. <laughs> and the last season was on YouTube, also, right? Yeah, we we started doing webisodes and and videos on YouTube for our fifth season. It was not our fifth year, of course, but that's, right. that's just how we bundled it together. <laughs> and we branched out in doing um, uh, uh, trailer reviews and trailer reactions and things. Uh, so th- there you can go see us on camera there, too. Cool. Um, if it's okay, I might just throw a clip from Free Candy Van at the end of the show, sure. if that's all right. Yep. Because um, it's a very funny show, and I want people to check it out and subscribe before season two starts. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Willie and Phil which IMDb describes like so. Remake of Jules and Jim following the experiences over a decade of two friends who fall in love with the same woman. We leave you now with the trailer for Willie and Phil. The year was 1970. Willie and Phil met quite accidentally coming out of an art house in Greenwich Village. Excuse me. It's okay. It was my fault. Some picture, eh? Yes. Fine film. Fine? (laughs) I thought it was a mind blower, man. This is my fourth time around, you know? I loved it. I loved Truffaut. You ever see this one with a woman? I know what you mean. I just broke up with a gorgeous thing, you know? You gonna ask me why? I'm afraid not. Do you have any compassion for your fellow man? I mean, uh, anybody who likes Truffaut, you ought to be a feeling fella. All right, why did you break up with this gorgeous thing? <clears throat> she wanted to get married. Phil D'Amico. Oh, Willie Kaufman. How you doing, Willie? Okay. Well, uh, yeah. You know? You know, it drives me crazy, but I mean, every time I see the picture, I forget the other guy's name. Henri Serre. Henri Serre. Jesus, Henri Serre. Well, I think so. It might be uh, Serre. I don't know how you pronounce it. Let's get the two bars in. Yeah. Willie and Phil became great friends. They shared a sense of humor. They hated the war in Vietnam. And they loved Truffaut. side effects from listening to Free Candy Band, please. Free. Candy Band. Free Candy Band. Hello, I'm J.F. Sebastian Cabot Jr. III, the owner-operator of J.F. Sebastian Cabot Jr. III's Grill and All You Can Eat Salad Bar. We're here to serve you. The food is great. Just ask our customers. Yeah, Food isn't too bad. See, the food is great at J.F. Sebastian Cabot Jr., the third grilled, and all-you-can-eat salad bar. 
I'm J.F. Sebastian Cabot, Jr. the third, so I think I'd know. And the service is great, too. The service? I don't know. Yeah, I guess it was fine. Not sure what you want to eat? Let's talk about it. Sometimes food is messy. You can personally wear my clothes while I personally dry your... While I clean your clothes. Yeah, he actually dry cleaned my clothes. I make a point of wearing loose, comfortable clothing, and I am a certified dry cleaner in three states and U.S. Virgin Islands. Just please come to J.F. Sebastian Cabot Jr. the Third's Grill and all-you-can-eat salad bar for dinner. Or lunch. Jesus. Lunch has been slowly. I will chew your food for you. I don't fucking care. You can abuse me verbally or physically. Make a reservation on Open Table. And you can do both. Just please come to J.F. Sebastian Cabot Jr. the Third's Grill and all-you-can-eat salad bar. My father hates me. Do you love breadsticks? We don't have them, but I will drive to Olive Garden and buy you some. Mm, I'm not really an Olive Garden fan. CeCe's Pizza, though. We have three kinds of gelato. Have you seen our ads on the Penny Saver? Mother's Day reservations are available now. Maybe you are my mom, and I'll serve you, and we'll have a nice interaction, but never know that you're the woman that left me alone with that horrible man. And don't forget the coupons. We honor coupons from everywhere, and I'll give you the food for free if you tell me that you love me. I killed my dad. So if you're looking for great food and service, come on down to J.F. Sebastian Cabot Jr. the Third's Grill and all you can eat salad bar. We're here to serve you. Please tell me you love me. J.F. Sebastian Cabot Jr. the Third's Grill and all you can eat salad bar.